and welcome to another episode of the Wonder and Learn podcast. My name is Ronnie and I'm a homeschool mum of four children from the southwest of England. Each week we will be discovering more about how children learn and develop so that we can create an environment that lights up their minds, sparks their imaginations and enhances learning. I hope this podcast will inspire you to bring wonder and joy into your child's education. This week we have an interview with the lovely Corrine Robin. She is from Belgium and she is a trained child psychologist. When she moved abroad to the UK, she actually trained as a Montessori teacher and she spent some time working in Montessori schools in the UK. Then she created the first Montessori Facebook in the UK, which now has around 25,000 people on it. Six years ago, she started running online courses to teach parents about Montessori method. And also four years ago, she developed the first ever Montessori subscription box, which now has over 400 people subscribed to it. Corrine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to know, first of all, um, about how you actually became interested in the Montessori philosophy. Well, it was when I had my first child. Uh, so the year before I had her, uh, that was the first year we were abroad and we were living in Ireland. So the, I applied for a job in early years. So I started to work in childcare and there was a little Montessori classroom in the, in the nursery. So I was a bit interested, but um, yeah, I was not totally convinced at that time. And then I had my first child and um, I was really interested in what we call the freedom of movement uh, and making sure that my child would be very free to explore and not being like uh, in a jumper or these kind of devices that kind of um, prevent them to move uh, because that was something that I was familiar with with my job as a child psychologist. And so I was recommended uh, a book to read that was in French at the time and there was some connection with Montessori so I started to be a bit more interested. And then a few months later when she was around four months old we went back to Belgium to see my family and that was the first time that we were exposed to some other kind of uh, a way of raising children and that some other people you know give started to give me opinions and such such like that um and uh the thing that happens basically she was very spoiled during that time abroad and she was carried by everybody and you know bunts uh, on laps all day long and you know put in a sitting position when she was not yet able to do that by herself so that was something that i had avoided deliberately to do and so when we went back home uh, i started to notice that she was refusing to stay on a play mat she didn't want to be put on her back anymore so she was crying a lot and being super frustrated because nobody was there anymore to entertain her all day long and uh, chatting with my best friend who was in Belgium, she said to me, oh, you need to really look into Montessori <laughs> uh, because, you know, that's probably the way you want to raise her. And going, I started to read one book that is called How to Raise an Amazing Child by Tim Seldin. That is really the book that kind of give me, you know, uh, everyday tips uh, to kind of help her. And so basically I started to help her to enjoy, you know, uh, being on her back again in a not overstimulating environment. Uh, and so went back to basics from that time and started to really uh, learn more about Montessori. And because I probably, uh, I am a student at art, straight away I wanted to train. <laughs> and I was also thinking ahead because I was on maternity leave. I didn't want to just go back 
in the nursery I was working in before. And I thought, you know, being a Montessori teacher was more interesting. Uh, so I went on to doing the training. Um, and uh, when she was just two years old, I, I was, uh, you know, I was qualified and I went back. Uh, I applied for a job in a Montessori school and work uh, in the Montessori school with her. Actually, she was in the younger age group. Um, yeah, that's all. I became a Montessori teacher. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's really interesting um, how you talk about the differences, the cultural differences, maybe, mm. in, you know, in the UK and in Belgium, how you went back home and looking after your child, how they were picking her up, holding her, things like that. The differences, because I do find quite a lot of um, I have a lot of struggle as well when I go abroad to Turkey because my husband's from Turkey. And, you know, quite a lot of the things that they do over there do frustrate me a little bit as well. Mm. So, you know, raising children, you know, with that within that multicultural environment can be a struggle sometimes and particularly if they don't really understand your kind of points of view and how you want to raise your child um did were you able to kind of explain to them that you know you didn't want them to hold her in a certain way and things like that or did you just go with it at the time well uh, at the beginning I think I went with it because you know I was young <laughs> and inexperienced and obviously I was happy that they wanted to kind of like uh, help me when I was there um, then along the years especially you know when we had our son uh, we were a bit more mature as parents so she was four and uh, especially I think when she was six and my son was two we were a bit more vocal about we don't want to do that or we don't want you to praise them and we were trying to kind of like show how to do the things our way uh, in a way because we are expats uh, maybe like you it's the same a bit the same situation but we are not um, that exposed uh, to the family so we kind of tolerate like if it's one week abroad or them coming here for one week we say it's just one week that's not going to impact them that much um, so it's a bit how we can manage because we are we are basically able to kind of make our own decisions regarding parenting uh, sometimes we don't have the support like if i complain to my mom about something she would say well it's because you you do gentle parenting <laughs> these kind of things but um in general it's not that much of an impact i think because uh yeah it's not the time we spend with them is not uh, that long basically yeah and what kind of drew you to the Montessori method like what do you like about it well, it was mainly this aspect of freedom. So the freedom to choose, the freedom to explore, the freedom to kind of like um, develop their own interest. Uh, and uh, with us just uh, supporting uh, and providing opportunities. So it's really something when I was starting to study and to read, uh, you know, for, for my training, obviously, we have to read Montessori books and not just books written by Montessori teachers. Um, so it was very interesting to read about what she, she talked about helping children to fulfill their own potential. And that really resonated with me uh, a bit deeply, like in a bit in a sad way. Like I felt that I, I was not given the opportunities to fulfill my own potential, but I was more like pleasing my parents. And that really something that I didn't want uh, to, to replicate. I really wanted to make sure that my children um, would have, you know, the opportunities to really develop their own interest. Uh, like one example is my son is, is loves, loves football. And uh, yes, my husband loves to watch football. He played a bit of football as a child, but, you know, it was not a huge part of our life. So we were a bit surprised where that was coming from because we're not physical <laughs> at all. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we, 
we went to football with him and it was not so good the first year. So it was really, we had to force ourselves because it's not very funny, you know, uh, football in the UK is always under the rain, start late in the evening, it's dark. You know, you have to travel a lot to go to the games and stuff. But yeah, we went with it and it became super good actually. And it's quite of incredible his journey with football that when we can even think that he can become maybe a professional some, some way down the line. Uh, and it's like, you know, I would never have thought of, you know, really pushing that opportunity, for example. You know, I don't think that uh, my parents would have pushed this kind of opportunity. So I feel that the fact that we were very respectful of their interest and, you know, um, thinking that each of their interests was valuable, basically, not criticizing them or not saying, oh, you know, you, you cannot, it's so rare to have a career in football, you, you better, you know, study your maths. We never said anything like that. Uh, my daughter has a liking for Formula One that comes from Norway as well. And so we're exploring the options with her, like, what kind of job can you do in Formula One? And it's, you know, it's not something, you know, if I look at the way I was raised, I, I'm sure I would have pushed her like to do literacy, for example, because she's good in English and, uh, you know, it's a kind of easy path. You go to university, you become an English teacher. And, you know, that was the kind of thing that I would have, you know, on a cultural way, so, so you know, the society would push you to do this kind of thing. You know, you study well, you go to uni. And uh, I can see that both of them could really go into, by, you know, very different directions that, uh, where I went basically yeah, um, yeah yeah and from what I understand about Montessori um, there's a lot of emphasis on the prepared environment yeah. and maybe making things and putting things out for the children but really following their direction in you know what they want to go towards what they what they gravitate towards and what they want to learn about and sort of facilitating that learning is that is that right Yes, absolutely. So it's the main role of the parents or the teacher is to prepare the environments and to give them opportunities. Um, obviously, sometimes you see a client dress and you say, OK, you know, my trees are really low farms animals. So I'm going to give them more activities about farm animals. But it's not always just the topic. It's also noticing that your child is developing a skill. So, for example, you might have a child with all about, you know, walking, climbing, running. So you need to give them more physical activities. Or you have a child who is super interested in sorting. Or you will notice a child who is actually frustrated um, on some aspect because he cannot master a skill. So you need to give them uh, less challenging less challenging skill uh, activities to refine that skill. Like for example, if they cannot put their shoes on, maybe they need to learn to lace beads first, or they need to learn to open uh, you know, um, bags before they can open their shoes properly. And so you need to kind of have uh, to scaffold a bit so that the way you observe your child will help you, obviously, to notice the little things they need. So it's not always, because I think it's quite easy uh, if you go on social media or Facebook group, we think about the topic, you know, my child is interested in Paw Patrol. So I give them a ton of activities about Paw Patrol, but it's also, uh, you know, the skills they're working on um, that, or maybe they're into uh, being more verbal or being more into social skills. So they prefer to do activities with their parents or with their siblings. And that's how you prepare the environment, thinking about your unique child and what they need in that moment. Yeah, so how has implementing the Montessori method worked in your home? 
Well, when they were very little, obviously, they were full-time with me until the age of two, two and a half. So I was doing, you know, proper Montessori activities. I was like having a shelf and so on. My daughter, especially, was totally into any activities I would put on the shelf for her. She was into topics. She was into, uh, you know, I was testing a lot of stuff on her because I was doing my training. Uh, and she was always keen. I have to say, she was always keen. She would have been that perfect Instagram child, you know, if I had uh, social media at the time. Um, she was always keen. I have to say, until the age of four, four and a half, when I was, you know, pregnant and then I had my second child and I didn't felt able to do anything new. So I let that go. Uh, and obviously we were promoting a lot of independence, you know, uh, definitely she was choosing what to wear most of the time. Uh, she was super keen to help in the kitchen at the time, you know, uh, cleaning the window was one of the main things. And we were really kind of involving her into you know, making decision with us, not all the decisions, but we would say, do you want this or do you want that? Um, and uh, I remember that we were letting, uh, taking a time. So there was a lot of times when I was not, I didn't really have, we were going out generally in the morning because that was what was working the best for us. And then we had very long stretch in the afternoon when she was really free to explore or to do activities. And, and when I was not interrupting her and I, remember that it was really something that friend you know in the way in the way he was playing or exploring it was very physical so and any activities that i was suggesting you know he was doing it his own way <laughs> he was always transforming them uh, but he was also very passionate in, by animals so we would explore animals in all shapes or forms all day long you know books uh, toys puzzles anything regarding animals he was totally passionate about and then being very physical and i remember that um, he didn't really want to sit still and he's still a bit like that, very physical so, uh, but yeah, we were giving them a lot of freedom uh, you know, to explore, I think that was one of the main things Yeah, so it sounds even a bit like unschooling a bit, where mm. you actually give them a lot of freedom to follow mm. their own interests, is there any sort of curriculum or yeah. set things that Montessori children have to learn like if they attended a Montessori Yeah well there, there is definitely a curriculum and I think you know uh, because you work with many homeschooling family definitely when you go into homeschooling then you're going to start following the curriculum uh, the, the only difference with Montessori is like there is no um, you don't decide okay, September, we're going to do this, you know, you follow your child's development. So some children might stay longer in, in some specific activities and then all move on quick, quickly through the activities. And uh, But it's not a set time. So we don't say all the four years old should read or should uh, know the numbers. It's you, But there is um, an order in the sense that generally, you know, to go into reading and writing, you have to have the fine motor skills for it. Uh, so you practice through some other activities and generally because the children, my Montessori has noticed that the, most children are ready at the same times. Uh, and she was observing that, uh, you know, in children all around the world that were attending the Montessori schools all around the world. And uh, so the curriculum has a certain order because of that, because most three years old will be into this kind of activity so that when we start to present them, but we present them first as well, because it's going to be um, uh, the starting point to refine fine motor skills, to be able to read and write, for, for example, later. She has noticed, of course, that children generally, they like to scribble and 
write, actually, before they are able to spell and read. Um, so that's why we make them trace the letter, because that makes them, uh, you know, having the sensory feeling, obviously, that is like helps them making the connection in their brain, but also they prefer to write first. Um, and then the UI will have children where when they start to be in reading and writing, they will be only in that and they will not care about anything, numeracy, maths, geometry or whatever. And then you have other children who would be totally into that, into numbers, 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 until they fulfill that need and they can count one to 50 and then we'll start to be interested in reading, for example. Uh, so that's how you follow them. But I would say within each kind of topic or skills, uh, you have a progression. Uh, so there is a, pro a proper curriculum. You would not introduce the large movable alphabet before you have um, introduced the sun paper letter. So that's kind of order that you have, but you don't have to say, okay, September, I'm doing that, October, I'm doing that. Oh, my child is three. I have to have done all of these before it's three and a half, otherwise it's going to be missed out. So it's kind of a flexible curriculum, but there is some activities to do before you introduce some others. Yeah, and I think um, what really helps with that is, from my understanding, in Montessori schools, children are not really grouped by age. Like, you wouldn't have a class just of four-year-olds. You have, like, is it naught to six and then six to 12? Is that generally how so, it works? Yeah, normally it's three to six. Here in the UK, it's generally two to four and a half because they go to school, to reception at four uh, or five. Sometimes you have a five years old because the parents keep the child in the school. And uh, for economic reasons, we take children from two years old. So that has changed a lot the content of the classroom, obviously. We don't have that many advanced activities that we used to have for five, six years old. Um, so we have, you know, just the beginning of reading and writing and numbers, for example. Uh, I remember I haven't done multiplication and division and these kind of things uh, in the classroom nearly since my training because we don't have children over the age of four and a half. So they're just starting to count and to do little addition maybe, but they don't go that far. Um, so, and then you have the zero to three, if you have a big nursery and so on, yes, you have another kind of curriculum for zero to three. And there are some specific monster material for zero to three, but the, the most specific materials is in the three to six years old uh, group. And that's probably the one that parents are interested in when they home educate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I like that because it means that, you know, if you've got a three-year-old who kind of is ready to read and write, then they're able to. But if you have maybe a five-year-old who's not ready, you know, they can be in the same class and they yeah. can be learning together. And it's not like all children of three years old have to learn this and all children of four have to use this. There's quite a lot of flexibility. And I think mm. it's really interesting when you put children together, you know, multiple age groups in the same learning environment to see what happens. Um, did you find that when you worked at the Montessori School? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean... At first, it was a bit uh, just accidental <laughs> that my Montessori had a, uh, such a wide age group. And uh, it's because she was given that group uh, of the children who were living in that building. So she didn't have really have a choice. But she noticed very quickly that the older children were able to help, really helping running the classroom because they had so much to do in the classroom uh, besides the activities. And then she could see that the youngest one was super interested. Uh, to so They were looking out for the, you know, they were following the um, older children and wanted to, to do what they were doing. So there was a lot of uh, encouragement and mutual benefits to have older and younger. And that was also to more to replicate a family lifestyle. You know, you wouldn't be with 20 or four years old. That's 
that happens only in school. In life, you always mix up with some other age group. You know, you send your children to play on the green outside and you have a, a 14 years old with their and two 10 years old, one with five, you know, you have all age group like that and they kind of mix up together. And um, so that was more natural. And yeah, definitely I could see that. I could see some children, obviously they play more together because they are the same age in the same, but also it protects them for competition. You know, they would know that somebody who is like nearly six is already able to read. You know, the, the three years old wouldn't feel like, oh, I'm not able to read yet because they, they, there is nothing that causes them to compare themselves to the other children in the classroom. And uh, there is also less competition because it's not like they all need the same kind of material. A three years old will be happy to do the practical life activities where, while the five years old is doing the reading practice. And so they're not going to fight for the same activity. Um, so it's just by having the three to six years old, it's, it's already more harmonious. <laughs> That's really interesting, actually. I haven't thought about that before. I mean, one thing that I've noticed about when you have the mixed age groups of children is, um, you know, the younger ones will mm. kind of look up a bit to the older ones and um, the older ones maybe will help out with the younger ones. Um, so that's that can be really nice, can't it? I'm just interrupting this podcast to give you a quick update about a competition I'm running on Instagram at the moment. It's um, to win a place on my Raising Talkers online course. This is a course for parents of naught to five-year-olds who want to be empowered with the knowledge and know-how to help them boost their children's language skills. It can either be because your child is a delayed talker, they're a late talker, or because you just want to help prevent them becoming a late talker. Research shows that 25% of language acquisition is actually due to genetics. So that means 75% is due to environmental reasons. And the biggest influence on the children's language skills is their parents. So if you want to know how to boost your child's language skills, then why not join my Raising Talkers online course, which is starting on Thursday, the 9th of June, and it will be open for registration on Thursday, the 2nd of June. But as I said, if you want to be in with the chance to win the course, then please do go over to my Instagram and take part in the giveaway. For more information about the Raising Talkers course and how you can sign up for it, then check out my show notes or go to my website, multiculturalmotherhood.com. Now, back to the podcast. Do your children attend a Montessori school or did they attend a Montessori school and how was their experience there? Uh, yes, they did attend the Montessori school. While my daughter was in a Montessori preschool, I have to say it was in Ireland, so it was more like a nursery with a bit of Montessori in it. Uh, so that was her experience um, of a Montessori preschool. Uh, and my son went to another Montessori preschool with me when I went back to work as a manager. So from two and a half to four uh, and then he went on to a Montessori primary school until until lockdown basically uh, when that school unfortunately uh, closed down definitely that was a very small school we had pl plan already to transition him so that was when we were at plan to transition him so it was just six months earlier well spent six months with us at home obviously like everybody else and um so yeah he had a longer experience of the monastery school for sure and a more i would say authentic experience because it was a proper primary elementary school um so yeah that was a great experience great great 
And um, have you got any tips for um, parents who would like to start using the Montessori methods at home? Well, yes. So if the children are quite young, under the age of three, or if they're planning, you know, to send the children to school, I would really focus more on uh, giving give, giving the children the freedom to explore, preparing the environments to support their needs, to encourage independence, uh, really focusing on uh, developing um, practical life skills, basically, and how to do that. Um, and also the other aspect is really to look at the kind of toys you introduce uh, to your child and thinking ahead about, you know, what is really really valuable for my child so i'm not the one to say you only need you know montessori branded toys because montessori herself never created toys obviously that was a method of education for school so that was learning material so it's very different but uh, she was talking about toys you know even at a time thinking that parents were spoiling the children offering those toys that were bigger and so big that it was nearly not a toy anymore you know she was talking about dolls furniture that were so big that you could put a sleep uh, a child to sleep in the bed in the doll's bed uh, you know and that was what she called you know kind of inappropriate toys at the time um while if you read about that it's kind of what we could say no it's a classic toy <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, she was not uh, for spoiling children with too many toys, and especially toys that were uh, not allowing the child to explore in their own discoveries and learning something. And um, yeah, so kind of what we would call no open-ended toys, uh, more than fixed toys that is just comes also from the adult imagination. You know, if you give to your child mainly Peppa Pig figurines. Uh, then your child can only, I know that some children will take a Peppa Pig and play something else, but you kind of give them a scenario when you give this kind of toys. Or at least some children will be limited. Some of the children will do anything with any toys. But, you know, if you have as a parent's expectation of, about, oh, your child should use the toys, you might, you know, unconsciously limit your child. Um, yeah, that's uh, really interesting, actually, because um, I think as um, I've been a parent for longer, I've really mm -hmm. noticed a change in the types of toys that I give to my children to play with as well. I really dislike those toys that, you know, just have one kind of use, you know, yeah. because children get bored of them very, very quickly, don't they? And um, it doesn't really let their imaginations, um, them use their imaginations and play in lots of different ways. Um, so, yeah, I really like the toys that are more open-ended, you know, um, maybe play little figures of animals that they can play with or building blocks or different things like that, I think are much better. Yeah. Uh, one of the toys that I dislike the most, I think, is those musical toys and toys that make a sound, you know, they, yeah, yeah. they are like my worst toys. I just can't think yeah. of anything worse than the child pressing the button and you listen to that yeah. sound like all day, all day. Yeah, yeah. It drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I think as monster parents can make the distinction between toys and some kind of specific learning materials. Um, so you can have both at home, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not strict about if you send a child to a monster preschool or to a monster school, yes, I would avoid having specific monster materials because you don't want the child to repeat. You want the child to be exposed to the monster materials in the classroom because that would make the monster classroom with the teacher. So I would leave that uh, for, for the monster school. But if you're going to home educate, then you're going to have some of those materials. Even if you're not going to modicate and you're going to send your child to reception, you might have a child at three and a half who is totally into reading and writing and you don't want to miss out that window of opportunity. So you might introduce yourself to some paper letters and I, I believe any parents is able to do that. Um, yeah, but what uh, I found, you know, is that the actual 
specific Montessori toys, they can be quite expensive, can't they? Um, yeah. And, you know, if parents think that they only have to use the branded Montessori toys or whatever, um, and it's out of their price range, that they can't do that. But do you think parents can create their own Montessori oh, yeah. materials and things? Yeah, yeah, you can do it yourself. A lot of the monster materials, uh, I think some of them are a bit tricky to do because it's made of wood and need a certain weight and so on. But then after you think about, you know, if you're really interested in monster material, let's say you're interested in the Pintor and you say, is that not something I can afford? And it's so iconic from Montessori. But think about what it teach what it teaches to the child is to teach, you know, sizes, uh, gradual sizes. So is there something else that can teach gradual sizes, you know, and you can have any other, like you have a series of tupperware, maybe, you know, uh, that you put into each other that has like a tiny bit bigger than the other. So it's teach the same scale, but with something else uh, you want, but you can do that with sticks that you collect and uh, you make sure that the stick, you know, you have different sizes and you show, you know, and you teach to your child, which one is the longest, can you find the shortest and you would teach the same things. Um, so if you think about the skill, it's what you need to look at. And is there other ways to teach that skill, you know, more hands-on, natural, natural ways? Or can I use a cardboard? Can I use this and that? And you will see that there are many, many uh, monster materials that you can totally do yourself, uh, that you don't have to invest so much in it. But if you home educate, you know, and you're really passionate about Montessori's, then yes, you need to set up a budget. Um, uh, because, you know, it's just the truth. Those monster materials, yes, they're expensive, but they require a lot of wood. You know, when you're seeing a stretch rod, it's the longest one is one meter and you have 10 rods. So when you just think about the cost of the wood, you know, it costs. That's it. And um, you, you have different level, you know, if, you, if you're not too concerned about the ethical aspect, you can definitely buy them for cheap. Uh, but then you can also think ahead, you know, really what I work with Montessori with home educating family, we want to do with the monster they have to budget. You're not going to keep those materials forever. You know, if you have one child, you have used some of the practical life activities, then your child is over it. You don't need to keep them forever. And so you sell that and you finance the next stage, basically. Or you kind of group with friends who want to use them as well. You can also try to contact all the Montessori school around where you live and say, do you sell any, you know, bath materials and an home educating family nearby? And I would like to buy because in schools, we have a budget, you know, for new materials. So if the materials doesn't look as pretty, we might say, well, it's not really great when parents come to visit, but the materials still functional uh, so you might find a bargain that way um so yeah, yeah great um and that moves us on nicely to talking a little bit about your business your subscription boxes <laughs> because they can be really helpful for parents who are introducing the Montessori method at home as well could you tell us a bit more about that yeah so basically it came it came from uh well, I started that business for two reasons. Uh, when I was pregnant with my son and when, I, when he was a baby, uh, I couldn't find the time anymore to, to do any topic-based activities with my daughter. I used at the time, you know, to create my own two-part cards, to do some kind of little tray. We were exploring a topic because she really loved to learn that way. Um, and then I was super sad because I couldn't do that anymore. And that was really a one-to-one -one time. And at the time I went to look for a subscription box for kids. Um, and I had something that was more craft based. That was what, what was available at the time. And I remember receiving that box and thinking to myself, oh, if they had it that, or if that was more that topic, that would have been so much more monstery. So I could see in the box what I would have added. 
uh, to make it a monastery box, basically. And nothing like that existed at the time, obviously. But yeah, she was four years old. That was quite a long time ago. And, you know, it took me just, well, 10 years to do that box. <laughs> and not 10 years, six years, actually. And um, and then uh, also when I started to run online classes for parents, obviously I was teaching the parents to, you know, set up a Montessori space in their house uh, to introduce activities. And one of the activities we do in that course is to just challenge ourselves to create an activity based on our children's interest. And so that was kind of prompting them to show to the group what they were doing and to have ideas and to share ideas. And when the course was finished, I was still in touch with those parents and many of them were saying, oh, you know, I don't find the time, you know, I work full time, I kind of see what she would like to do and she loves these kind of activities, but I work full time, oh, I have the baby, just is so much to do on top of everything else, you know, it's easier to just let her do whatever she wants with the toys, but they were feeling frustrated that they couldn't do it. And based on that feedback, I went on to creating the box, basically, which kind of give parents many activities ready-made for them because you know many parents as well maybe you do that as well you go on pinterest you find a ton of activities you pin them and say oh yeah we're going to do that next week we're going to explore that uh, or you child has an interest and you go frantically you know find all kind of activities and then it's too late you know by the time you cut everything prepare everything and put everything available or design a craft activities with them they're not interested anymore so it was a bit that idea to kind of like because we all busy uh and it was to make life easier for parents. So they receive everything in the box. They don't have to laminate, cut corner. Uh, they don't have to think about what can I do? My child is interested in mini beast. What can I do? So they receive a, and obviously you can be creative. You know, I have many mothers who, who kind of like go further with each activities. And it's really nice to see or add their own you know, spin on the activities. But if you have no idea and you just like the concept of Montessori or you at home with your children and you need a bit of uh, inspiration, then you have everything ready in the box and you don't have to, to go search and think uh, about what you're going to do. Yeah, and if parents are interested in subscribing <sighs> to your box, where can they do that? Where can they get the information? Well, on the website, so it's called the MontessoriFamily.com. So Montessori-Family-Box. But yeah, you will see it uh, on the website. And obviously, I can send you the links. That would be yeah, better. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put a That's link it. to them in the show notes so everyone can find it. Um, yeah. It sounds amazing. And I remember you did send me one of your boxes as well when my youngest was a little bit younger. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it was really lovely. It was about land, water and air. And she yeah. really liked it, but she's just gone to the stage where she's kind of getting out of those kind of activities now. But I think it's just perfect for like the under fives, maybe for yeah. age. What age would you say it's for? Maybe age two? Well, we say three because there is always some small items. So it's better to say three. Otherwise, they really have to be supervised. So you select what you want your child to be introduced to because that, after all, it's paper. So that's pretty, that's 100% safe. But because there are some craft bits, you know, you need to kind of supervise some aspect of it. But many parents actually start uh before three years old because they want to collect them and have them you know when the children are ready and uh yeah it's three to six because it really follows the curriculum that we do in the classroom and some topics i have some older children really interested in them because there's so much information and facts in them like space we have such a huge guide about looking at the stars that's really well done even parents love that guide because that's kind of gives them a good explanation about how to spot the stars in the skies and so on uh, and then we have some topics that the youngest one i'm probably a bit more interested in um but yeah i would say a good average is between three to five yes okay great 
And um, one thing that I've been quite interested in finding out is if parents are not homeschooling and if parents are not sending their children to a Montessori school, do you think they can still get something out of the Montessori method? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are many studies that have shown, actually, that if you send your children only two years to a Montessori preschool, uh, that is going to, to kind of give them a very good foundation. Uh, you know, and so there are studies that have shown that. So if you can only afford to send them to preschool, like here in the UK, you know, we have the earlier funding. So if you say that's all I can do, like from three to reception, they will go to a Montessori preschool. And then after it's uh, the local school, then they will still benefit uh, from the Montessori education, definitely. And uh, otherwise, you know, all the Montessori principles are good for any parents. And it's Sometimes I say that Maya Montessori was the first gentle parent expert uh, because she just encouraged us to respect our children, to respect our children's needs, to respect our children's choice, to treat them as valuable members of the society, basically, uh, to really treat them uh, with respect. And um, so there is a lot about the way we discipline children, uh, the Montessori way that, can, that parents can apply in their everyday life. And I think the whole aspect of practical life and uh, what I've noticed when my daughter was going to school, she was still very much interested to do activities with me. She loved when they were having a topic in the school to kind of keep exploring that topic, you know. She was, both of my children were frustrated with the school system when the topic was over, you know, because that was not on their own. Obviously, they were not choosing the topic, but also when it was over, they were just started to be so interested that they wanted to keep learning about it. And they were like, well, we don't talk about it anymore. So that was a bit frustrated, uh, frustrating for them. So I remember that we were keep learning. And so I think there are a lot of skills that parents are still in charge of. You know, you children will learn to cook with you. We learn all the kind of life skills, uh, reading and writing. You, you don't stop. You don't say to your child, no, you only read at school. You know, you do that at home. So you can promote like more reality-based uh, books at home, you know, uh, because it's more in line with what young children need. Uh, you can make sure that you respect your children's choices as much as possible. We cannot allow them all their choices, but um, you can, you know, still nurture the interest. You know, if you have a child with it to art and craft and you do like a little craft area when they have access to little activities and you kind of nurture that. Um, you respect your child with them, you know, uh, you know, like schools, they don't have much time to explore nature, for example, you know, the time they spend out, it's ridiculous. So you are in charge of so much more stuff, actually, it doesn't stop. Maybe you don't teach maths and reading the Montessori way when your children are in school. But also, I've noticed that sometimes my son, yes, he, he was struggling with some maths concept and he was, he did go to school when he was eight. You know, to mainstream school, an early nine, and uh, but I could see that he needed, he still needed a bit of hands-on material. So we were doing his own work with hands-on materials at home to, to kind of do transitions and that kind of things that probably I thought about because of my Montessori background, basically. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't stop. Basically, it doesn't stop when when uh, your children go to school. You still have those principles uh, in your mind that you're going to still apply. You might not invest in monetary materials because there is no point, you know, uh, and you might not be the one who's going to teach them to read and write. Uh, but uh, there are so many other stuff that you can do. And that's why I think I have many of my customers, but if their children are in reception, or you're one, and they like to keep this kind of monthly activities at home, keep doing, you know, activities at the weekend and during the school holidays. 
yeah it kind of just like enhances their whole education doesn't it that's it okay yeah. finally we're at the end of the podcast <laughs> now but one more thing I would like to ask you um if parents could take away one thing from this podcast about the Montessori method what are the most important points what would you like someone to go away from this podcast remembering and maybe thinking that they could possibly implement at home yeah I would say that they do not need to focus too much of having the Montessori materials but think about uh, you know how you can allow your children to be free to explore you know in a safe environment or you can you know prepare you home to make sure your children, you know, have opportunities to learn. I would say that, and you don't have to focus on specific monster activities for that. Just think about what your own child needs. Yeah, observe your own child and follow their lead. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today, Corinne. It's been absolutely okay. wonderful talking to you and finding out all about the Montessori method. And I hope people are going to take a lot away from this episode. Please join us next time where I'll be interviewing another educator. And if you like this podcast, then please do leave a comment and give it a five star rating. And that will just help other families to find the podcast.